0: Welcome back to the Three Point Thread Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name is John Kiefer, and in a little bit we'll be joined by editor of the Jnotes.com, Jared Woodcox. We have a good show for you today where we're gonna be talking about uh, first and foremost just NBA news and some of the recent trades that have happened, namely Carmelo Anthony, Kawhi Leonard, and the impact that we think they will have. Then we'll transition mainly to the jazz, where we're gonna start by talking about the Summer League and recapping some of the players that we think made a good impact and how we think they can potentially contribute in the future for the Utah Jazz. Uh, Finally, we'll talk about our positional focuses that we've been doing over the last month or so. We're going to be talking about power forwards today and some of the main power forwards for the Jazz last season, how we feel like they performed, and going into this next season, what we think they can do to take another step forward and help the Jazz uh, continue on their playoff hunt. So, without further ado, let's get it started. Point one. So, first things first, let's welcome Jared Woodcox to the podcast. How are you doing today, Jared? Good. How about yourself, John? I'm doing great. It's good to have you on again. Yeah, thanks, man. It's, uh, it's good to be doing the show again. Yeah. Um, I'd just like to let everybody know Jared officially lives in Utah, which means he's no longer going to be a fan of the Pacers but he's only going to cheer for the Jazz.
1: Well, I am officially in Utah, but my love for the Pacers travels with me, but my love for the Jazz will always be the biggest, so I'll fix. at least give you that, John.
0: I can't. I don't understand. Where did this Pacers fandom even come from?
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of random, actually. I just I just loved uh, Reggie Miller as a kid, and I always thought the Pacers logo was cool. as like a 7-year-old. So I kind of cheered for him as a kid. And then really where it really blew up is, you know, my my parents are both University of Wyoming alumni. And so um, I grew up, we had season tickets to all the Wyoming games as a kid. And so I really followed the Mountain West Conference close. And for one reason or another, I really liked Danny Granger who played for New Mexico um, whenever I watched him. And then when Danny Granger got drafted by the Pacers, it was kind of like the match made in heaven. I was super excited about it. And, I mean, if you recall, during those years when Granger was first playing for the Pacers, they were horrible. That was kind of the post mouse the Palace <laughs> years. But I still cheered for them and watched them whenever I could. And then uh, when I got back from my mission, actually, the Pacers were finally good. Like, they were terrible when I left. And then when I got back from my LDS mission, uh, the Pacers were uh, were great. And it was the next year that they went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I've just really loved them all along the way ever since. So that's kind of a brief history of why I like them. Kind of random, I know. but that's
0: yeah, just... Still unacceptable, but sure. You're in Utah now. We'll win you over. I just I don't think you can split your heart like that for an NBA team. You just gotta devote it all to one. That's what I tell my daughter. Like, I, I devote it all to you, so I, I I don't tell my son that. Like he understands. So. But if you have a son and a daughter, you're gonna love them both, you know.
1: And, and I just I always tell people I have a, I have a West team and an East team. And if they if they meet in the finals, I'm gonna be really disappointed. But until then, I'll be just fine
0: cheering for oh, them both. Man, if they met in the finals, I really hope you would cheer for the Jazz. But I would. Don't fine. worry. <laughs> Not even a question. You're you're going to make make one of those, you're going to buy two jerseys and cut them in half and one will be Olin Depot, the other will be Donovan Mitchell, will be half and (laughs) half.
1: Well, that's what my uh, Twitter header looks like right now. And uh, honestly, during the playoffs, what I'll do, usually the Pacers will play first, you know, if they play on the same day. I'll rush home from work to watch the Pacers at 5 o'clock and I'll put all my Pacers gear on. Then as soon as they're over, I'll I'll run to the closet and switch to my all-jazz gear. So I've got to rent both
0: teams. All right, you do what you do. Well, let's let's get started. Um, as I mentioned before, we're going to be talking about just some of the recent NBA news. And uh, since the last time we met, there's really only been two things that have gone down, and they've both been trades. Uh, the first is Carmelo Anthony getting traded to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for, uh, I mean, the, the biggest pieces were just Dennis Schroeder. Um, and then he officially got bought out by the Hawks, and he hasn't signed with the Houston Rockets yet, but it's assumed that he will. Um, I mean, really, does that move the needle for you at all, Jared? Do you feel like Carmelo Anthony going to the Rockets makes them a better team? I mean,
1: initial reaction, no. Um, you know, I really think that Melo is well past his prime. He's well past being kind of an impacts player um, that he once was. I did see something kind of interesting on Twitter, though, where people were kind of talking about how, you know, the Rockets were the Rockets were kind of criticized when they added Mike D'Antoni. They were kind of criticized for, you know, adding Chris Paul by, by some people. I don't know. Essentially what it was saying was that they've been criticized for some of their moves in the past, and so far they've done nothing but trend upwards with these kind of risky moves they've made. And then they equated that to, so, hey, don't, don't just count Carmelo out yet. So, I mean, I'm willing to give him a chance there and see how he goes. But my initial reaction is that he's not. Not really moving the needle for me uh, we saw how really inefficient and ineffective he was in Oklahoma City really he was kind of a vacuum when the ball went to him it stuck with him and his shooting numbers were you know, among the lowest of his career um, so unless he suddenly rediscovers his shot, or unless Mike D'Antoni's you know ISO heavy system just totally fits into a tee, I don't see it being that great for the Rockets
0: yeah, I, it doesn't really move the needle for me. I know last time we met, we talked about winners and losers of this offseason, and the Rockets were someone who we considered a loser because, I mean, they just they let Luke and Balamute go, they let Trevor Ariza go, and it looks like their solution was to replace them with Carmelo Anthony, and I just I, I don't think that's the best move for them. I think they had such a good defense last year. That was the most underrated part about their team, and they – A couple games there during the Western Conference Finals against the Warriors, I mean, they really frustrated the Warriors. I mean, there was a couple games where I think Golden State didn't even score over 90 points, I'm pretty sure. Um, And now you're replacing two really good defensive players who both shot the three, probably better than Carmelo, with a guy who can't play defense. It was surprising to me. I think the most surprising thing to me, too, is also... Mike D'Antoni, the relationship with him and Carmelo from the New York Knicks, I wonder how that's going to work, because they did not get along at all while he was with New York. I will say one of the things that surprised me when I was looking it up, he's getting better as far as his efficiency goes. I know people view him as a guy who just kind of jacks up jump shots, but he actually attempted 40% of his shots from three, which is 10% higher than he's ever done in his career. Uh, My guess is with the Houston Rockets, that's going to go up even further. And if they're wide open threes, I mean, that could be much better. Um, The down part to that is, is he getting smarter or is he just getting older? Because only 12% of his shots came at the rim, which is down from 35% when he played for Denver. So gradually since he left Denver, his shots at the rim are just going down and down and down. That's probably age and lack of athleticism and... I mean, maybe the Rockets are the type of team who can unlock something in him. Maybe playing with the stars of Chris Paul and James Harden makes him a better, more efficient player, and he's willing to be that third option. But, yeah, I don't know. For me, it was pretty confusing. Yeah, and and I mean, I
1: think you hit the nail on the head. Even if Carmelo Anthony has, you know, an offensive revival this year and just becomes this awesome piece um, offensively for the Rockets, at the end of the day, you know, come playoff time, If the Utah Jazz, who, don't get me wrong, I love and think are a great team, but if the Utah Jazz were able to exploit Carmelo Anthony um, defensively and win that series, just think of what a team like the Warriors are going to be able to do to the Rockets. I mean, they'll be able to exploit the matchup with Carmelo Anthony all night long, and, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he finds himself um, limited in minutes. So one thing I will say, um, you know, Carmelo Anthony's already said he's not coming off the bench, that he's not a bench player, which we'll see how that pans out. But, I mean... Mike D'Antoni has the sense, like, for example, with Joe Johnson. I mean, Joe Johnson, I love the guy. He was great with the Jazz, obviously, while he was there. Uh, But Joe Johnson fell out of the Jazz rotation not only because of injury, but because, you know, he wasn't playing defense. Um, And then in in Houston, it was kind of the same thing. D'Antoni rarely played Joe Johnson despite his big name, despite the fact that they brought him over, you know, after he was uh, bought out by the Kings. And even though Melo's going to have a a worse attitude than Joe Johnson, I can see D'Antoni at some point being like, look, dude, you're hurting the team. It hit the bench. I don't think there's yeah. going to be yeah. much of him being hesitant to play him or not if he's not being effective, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know I sent out a tweet after that press conference where he said, like, I'm not coming off the bench. And basically just, I wonder if there's another star who has a bigger misconception about their talent level at this time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there is. I mean, the one thing I will say is when I looked at the the roster, I mean, who's playing power forward over him? I mean, without Trevor Ariza, without Luke and Bob like, it does kind of get to a point where it's like, well, he actually might be their best power forward because this offseason has been really poor for them. And, I mean, really, just looking at their roster, unless you're going to play P.J. Tucker, who's only like six six, at the power forward, I mean, he's big enough and strong enough to maybe do it. But, I mean, Ryan Anderson? <laughs> and that's not that great of an option either. So... I don't know. He, now that now that Ariza's out of the out of the uh,
1: equation, I mean, you probably have PJ starting it. It's a three, I would assume. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the other part of this trade was the Hawks are sending Dennis Schroeder to OKC. Um, and, and I'll just say, one of the things that really has surprised me has been Twitter's um, reaction to this trade and just the analysis that has gone on. I, I see a lot of people who are doing their projections for the Western Conference now that The offseason is kind of winding down. Um, And I'm seeing a lot of people putting OKC as the second or third best team in the West. And I just, I don't understand it. Does lose, is it because just losing Carmelo Anthony is that big of an upgrade? Or is it because they really feel like Dennis Schroeder is going to make that big of an impact? Um, I feel like it's kind of a wash. Like, I didn't feel like Dennis Schroeder was very good last year either. I feel like he was one of the more inefficient point guards in the league, so it didn't really move the needle for me either. I don't feel like they're going to be much better. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think with with people that are rating OKC high, um, I think one of the big things is addition by subtraction. Uh, they think that, you know, taking Carmelo out of the lineup um, will, will make them better. I also think a lot of people are basing that on um, Andre Robertson coming back healthy and them having elite defense all year long then I also think a lot of people are basing it on, you know, they're not going to have the adjustment anymore to Paul George and Russell Westbrook playing together. There's going to be, you know, maybe some of those cohesion things ironed out. Yeah, maybe continuity. Yeah, I I guess with all that I'm saying, like, um, I can see it being possible that, you know, maybe if the Thunder just click next year, um, maybe they will be better than the Jazz in the regular season. It's entirely possible. You know, injuries, all that, who knows how it's going to play out. But I just don't think the Thunder have taken as huge a leap as some people want to think. And I think you're spot on with Dennis Schroeder because I have never been a big Schroeder fan. In fact, when the the Hawks traded Jeff Teague and and kind of thought that Schroeder could take over for him, I mean, one, I'm not a huge Teague fan either, um, but I thought the Hawks were making a huge mistake because I was like, if they think Schroeder's their guy for the future... I think they're terribly mistaken. I mean, the guy's fast, he has athleticism, but he's just not a good finisher, and he's not a good three-point shooter. He just doesn't really do anything all that well. Um, And you have him and Westbrook, which, is he going to back Westbrook up? Is he going to play at the same time as him? It really brings about a lot of questions, and I think Billy Donovan is a good coach, but I also think he struggles sometimes knowing who to play together, knowing how to do his rotations. I can see there being some issues there with Schroeder and Westbrook, so I guess Long story short, I could see the argument where the Thunder are a little bit better, but at the end of the day, I don't think they're going to be, you know, just
0: this monumental team to beat in the West by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, I think Schroeder gives them something that they haven't had in the last few years, which is just a backup point guard, like a really, really good backup <laughs> point guard. Um, yeah. like, I don't think he's a good starting point guard, but as a backup, he's probably one of the better ones in the league. Um, but I, I also heard some people just throwing out the idea of, well, if Westbrook is willing to kind of shift over to the two, like they could play time together. And then you have a lineup of Schroeder, Westbrook, Paul George. Uh, what's It's not Jeremy Grant. Is that the Grant they have? What brother do they have? Uh, it's
1: Jeremy or Jerry, and I can't remember which
0: one. I think it is Jeremy Grant. Um, but, but they have Grant at the four and then Adams at the five. Like that's, that's really not a bad lineup. Um, yep. But I think the biggest thing is like how many players are – I don't think Schroeder can play off the ball. And I don't think Westbrook can play off the ball, and there's only one ball. So I just don't feel like them playing together is really going to work. Um, I, I was looking at it last year, and, and maybe it was just last year, but he only shot 28.4% from three. Um, here's some notable shooters who were better than that. Marquise Chris, Jeff Green, Marcus Smart, and John Rondo all shot better than that. Um, nice. I mean, It's pretty bad, and he'll be paired with Russell Westbrook, who shot 28.8% from three last year. So that's just not a great combo. Um, There are some things he's good at, though. I mean, the last two years he's averaged over six assists per game, so I think he's a willing passer, and he doesn't have to be the guy who shoots. That's just kind of the role he was put in while he was with Atlanta. But I don't know. It's one of those wait-and-see type situations where – it could turn out really well, and, and OKC could look like geniuses, or I, I feel like it could be a train wreck, and Schroeder and Westbrook just aren't going to be able to play together, and it's going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, speaking of, of good backup point guards, um, like, I mean, I, I know he's not phenomenal, but the Thunder did have Reggie Jackson, you know, kind of when he started to burst onto the scene, and Reggie Jackson got frustrated with his role because he couldn't really play alongside Westbrook, wasn't really getting many minutes as a backup because of Westbrook and I could see a very very similar thing happening happening with uh, with Dennis Schroeder I mean they're not the exact same player by any by any stretch of the imagination but there's enough similarities there between Jackson and Schroeder that I could see that being the case
0: yeah absolutely uh well let's move on to the next big blockbuster trade um it finally happened we finally don't have to talk about Kawhi Leonard and San Antonio Spurs anymore uh, which had to be one of the weirdest stories I think that has ever happened over the course of the last year. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited because I feel like at some point here in the next couple months, we're going to have the whole story just broken out in detail. And like all of these things are going to come to light, and we're going to really understand what went down. But Kawhi Leonard was officially traded, and surprisingly traded to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl. Um, And joining Kawhi in Toronto will be Danny Green. Really, my first impressions of this trade were it's good for both sides. And I I really feel like this is a good trade for both teams. I know there were some thoughts about DeMar DeRozan in Toronto and how he's the franchise player and he was done wrong by that organization. But I think again and again, we see things that make us realize that this is a business and the players, if a player is just going to up and leave an organization, a la Gordon Hayward, then the organization should also have that ability to trade a player anytime they want. Um, But, I mean, what are your thoughts? Do you feel like there was a clear winner or loser from this trade, or do you feel like it's kind of a best-case scenario for both teams?
1: I mean, I don't know. I'm a little divided on it, and I I think it's probably a bit of a cop-out, John, but I think there's no way we can really know until a few months down the road. I think we'll see pretty clearly. Um, my biggest thing with the with the Raptors and with Kawhi is, you know, which Kawhi Leonard are they going to get? I mean, are they going to get the one that was Finals MVP? Are they going to get the one from, you know, two playoffs ago before he got injured where he was just a monster and like he was almost single-handedly going to, you know, lead the Spurs over the Warriors there for a little bit? Because, I mean, if they get that Kawhi, then the Raptors are going to be, you know, extremely good because they still have a phenomenal bench, still have a very, very capable point guard in Kyle Lowry, a great starting lineup. Um, so there's that. And then there's the question, I mean, can the Raptors pull us under? Can they re-sign Kawhi? Because, you know, if they get Kawhi at 100%, if he's healthy and that him, Kawhi's back. And if they somehow manage to re-sign him, I'm not saying I think that's going to happen. But I also don't think the Thunder would re-sign Paul George, so we'll see. But if those two things happen, then absolutely, I think the Raptors actually won the trade. Um, I like DeMar DeRozan. But, you know, based on on kind of his inefficiency, you know, he takes a lot of long twos. He really did improve his game in that regard last year. But still, once the playoffs rolled around, DeBruy Rosen has never really been much of a producer in the playoffs, at least not to the level where the Raptors needed him. And, you know, I hope he does well in San Antonio. I think San Antonio was lucky and fortunate to get a star. Yeah. So I guess in that regard, they were going to lose Kawhi anyway, and they are getting a star in DeMar DeRozan. is a pretty big win for them, and maybe that's kind of the lines you were going as well. But um, at the end of the day, it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out for both teams based on you know what Kawhi does and how DeMar DeRozan can develop and kind of
0: modify his game in San Antonio. So the jury's still out for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think most trades, that's kind of how it is. You just kind of have to wait and see. Yep. But looking at it on its surface, I really just feel like this is a win for both teams because if you're the Raptors... Obviously, you love DeMar DeRozan. He's been the face of the franchise. He's going to have his—he he should have his jersey retired there. I mean, he really took over that mantle and carried that team. Yeah. But was he ever going to get you past the second or third round of the playoffs? Could he lead you to the NBA Finals? And that's where I think he always was falling short. He's a great regular season player, but when the playoffs rolled around, it seemed like he could not overcome his inefficiencies. And we saw last year he did a lot better during the regular season of getting away from the mid-range and focusing more on getting to the basket, drawing fouls, shooting threes, but then the playoffs rolled around and he just kind of reverted to the same player he's always been. So you're replacing DeMar DeRozan, already an all-star, already, I don't know what you want to view him, top 20, top 25 player in the league. Um, And he was second team, all NBA. You're replacing him with someone who was even better. Uh, So I think it's going to be terrific for them if Kawhi is healthy and willing to play there. Regardless of if he stays or not, I think this next season is going to be a really, really great year for them. And they may, in my opinion, be the best team in the East. I think looking at Boston, it might be kind of close between those two. But I think Kawhi Leonard puts them right there to where maybe they can get to the NBA Finals, and if they get to the NBA Finals, maybe Kawhi Leonard decides, you know what, I like it here, and we're competing, and I want to stay. On the flip side, San Antonio, Kawhi wasn't going to play there. You weren't going to get him back. So you take a team that already, I think they were, I think they tied us with the record, right? Did they have 48 wins last year? I think there was like a four-way tie. And regardless, they're a playoff team, and they didn't have to lose anyone major in their rotation, and they added an all-star. So, I mean, they could be a 50-plus win team next year now that they have DeMar DeRozan. So for both sides, I think it's great. I I also like the added piece of Jakub Pertl. I think he's a good foundational like young big that the Spurs were able to get from him. I don't know. This was one of those rare trades where looking at it, I feel like both teams came out on top. And that doesn't usually happen. Usually there's a clear winner and a loser, and this one seems pretty pretty even to me. Yeah, no, I definitely
1: agree, and, and see where you're coming from there. And, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is, like, the Spurs made the playoffs last year. I uh, just double-checked, and it was uh, 47 wins they had last year. Um, and, and that was without Kawhi. I mean, he played, what, nine games? So you're taking pretty much the same team, minus Danny Green, and you're adding
0: um, DeMar DeRozan to the mix. I mean, the Spurs are going to still be a very good team. Yeah, and um, they, they're they an organization that's terrific with players like this. I mean, all the time, they make players better, and you're taking an all-star. I, I just—I look at this, and I say, Popovich and that organization could probably make DeMar DeRozan, I don't know, 5%, 10% better, and that's really, really good for a guy who was averaging close to 25 points a game. So... I feel like looking at next year in the Western Conference, everyone's talking about OKC being the third-best team. I wouldn't be surprised if San Antonio is the third-best team now.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And the last thing I want to say about DeRozan is that, you know, I agree with you that it's it's a business, and so as players can leave in free agency, you know, teams should have the right to be able to trade those players away. However... In the same way that you want a player to be straightforward with an organization, and you know we all would have liked it if Hayward would have said, "Hey, look, I'm planning to sign with Boston." And he didn't do that. If it's true that you know uh, Masai Ujiri told him, "Hey, we're not going to trade you," and then turned around and did it, which you know there's kind of some conflicting reports
0: on that. But if that really happened, that kind of doesn't sit well with me either. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know. My thoughts there. Yeah, I mean the tough thing is without knowing the whole story, we don't know what happened. I mean, maybe it was. During the summer league or early parts of the offseason, he told DeMar like, hey, we're not going to trade you because he didn't think Kawhi Leonard was even a possibility. Um, And then when he becomes a possibility, you just you can't say no to something like that. So that's why I mean, you really should never make any promises like that because you never know. You never know what happened. And it's not just Kawhi Leonard. I mean, what if the Pelicans had been like, hey, we'll trade you Anthony Davis. Like, you're not going to say no to that. So you probably shouldn't make promises like that to a player unless it's, lebron james and someone you're never going to trade yeah yeah for sure all right well that'll wrap up some of the nba news um i mean there's other minor things that went down but we're really hitting that point in the offseason where things are going to slow down until hopefully the schedule is released in a couple weeks so from there we will move to point two where we'll just wrap up our thoughts on the summer league point two For point number two, we're going to talk about the Utah Jazz Summer League that just ended a week or two ago. Uh, We really just want to focus on the three players from the Summer League that we know are more than likely going to be on this roster and are going to have an impact, whether it's a small impact, they're going to be on the team. Those are Grayson Allen, Tony Bradley, and Gorgeous Nying, or Georges Nying. I'm not positive how to say his name, to be perfectly honest. We're just going to call him Yang, which is sad because he was by far the best player from the Summer League. I thought he was terrific, and I'm excited for what he's going to do next year. Um, I, I know we talked about it a bit last time, but it really looks like part of the Jonas Drebko decision on being willing to release him was in large part because of the play of, of Yang and how good he looked and the fact that we really think he can fill that stretch four position. So, Jared, what, what were your thoughts on George's Yang this Summer League, and what Do you feel like he has the potential to contribute for the Jazz next year?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, during summer league, John, you always kind of, you know, we talk about how it's fun to look at the second-year players and kind of see how much better they are than the incoming rookies. Obviously, I know that Yang, it has more experience than a second-year player um, as he's kind of jumped around a little bit. But it was kind of comparable in my mind that he just looked like a more seasoned player, which obviously he should have. But it was fun to just see his game really develop and expand. And I think the Jazz development system has a lot to say about or has a lot to do with that. And I don't think he's necessarily going to be this just crazy impact player for the Jazz. But I do think he has a chance to contribute. I mean, you look at someone like Royce O'Neill. You know, we didn't even know if Royce was going to make the final roster, Um, but he did. And then originally Royce didn't really play much for the Jazz, but little by little as he got better and as there was a need for him, you know, he really proved his worth. And so... I don't want to see any injuries, obviously, for the Jazz. I hope there are none. Um, but it might take an injury for, for um, Niang to get much playing time. But even if there's not an injury, um, I mean, he could still kind of go the Royce O'Neal route and maybe just work his butt off and, you know, make an impact when he's in the game. And I could see him maybe finding a role. But the thing about Ning is that, you know, he is a great shot maker. He shot the three extremely well. Um, he's not crazy athletic, but he makes up for it with, like, his craftiness and just with his basketball IQ. He has a lot of tools that, you know, even seasoned NBA players don't have. And I think he does have a shot. It may be a long shot, but I definitely
0: think it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think some of the things you said just were really perfect about him. Like, he is, he's not the most athletic, but he's very crappy. And that was what I noticed, especially during the summer league, that whenever he needed to, he was able to get his shot off. Um, which, which really kind of reminds me of someone like Joe Ingles, where they just they know how to use their body, they know how to use disruptive movement, like the stop-and-go type moves to get to their spot. And I mean, he, get, he gets guys on his back really well to where he can do just those little floaters in the paint. I think the most surprising thing to me was I, I underestimated his ability to dribble the ball and to create on his own. I didn't know that was something he had in his game. Uh, it surprised me when I saw him grabbing rebounds and leading the fast break immediately, which I think is something that the Jazz could really use. I remember the last player I really remember at the power forward position who was doing that for the Jazz was Trey Lyles. I know a lot of us don't really like Trey Lyles, but that was a part of his game that I always found really, really impressive was that he would grab rebounds and just start leading the break immediately. And Yang was doing that in the summer league and doing it well. Uh, Also, his just distributing ability. During the uh, G League last season, he averaged about 4.2 assists per game. I didn't know he was that good of a passer and had the ability to create for others. So uh, like you said, I don't expect him to have a very large role on this jazz team. I do think there's a place for him though. If he really shows that he can play within the offense and hit the three consistently, which he shot 45% from three during the G league. So he has shown that potential, but barring an injury, I'm not really sure if he's going to get that opportunity with the jazz because more than likely, that four position is going to be held down by Derek Favors, Jay Crowder, Tabo Cephalosha, and, and those are guys who really he's not going to get an opportunity to get in front of. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree there. Let's move on from Georges Yang. The next player that really stood out to me was uh, Tony Bradley. There were pros and cons to what I saw, positives and negatives, and at areas that I you see a lot of growth, but then areas where it's like, man, he's just not quite there. The biggest thing I noticed was his ability to finish around the basket. That's something that I still think he needs to work on. I I went to the Utah Jazz Summer League games. Granted, he did a lot better in Vegas at this, but during the Utah Summer League, he was missing a lot of like just like put-back layup attempts, little just floater bunnies, like, missing a lot of shots around the basket that a guy of his size and length I think should be able to make but I think he's getting there and he showed he showed like he had much better hands and craftiness and ability to finish around the rim um there were just times where he would go through streaks where it just seemed like he could not make a shot around the basket maybe he was just padding his stats trying to get some extra rebounds I don't know but it was, it was getting a little frustrating at times for me and my brother as we were watching the games because he was just missing these shots that, in my mind, anybody at that level should be able to make. Uh, the biggest thing that I saw about him that was a positive, though, was he looked a lot better defensively with his ability to move his feet and block shots. I know in the Utah Summer League, he averaged about two a game, and he even had a—I think it was the first game he had four blocks looked really good with his ability to keep a guy in front of him and play positional defense and use that seven six wingspan to to disrupt the offense.
1: Yeah, and I, I think you know with Tony Bradley, obviously the jazz, you know they they were high on him. That's why they traded to the draft him when they did. So I think that they have a lot of belief in him, and I think he's shown improvements, which is which is key. To me, the biggest thing with Tony Bradley is going to see, okay, this year, is he going to get Epe Udo's minutes, or is um, is the fact that the Jazz kept Udo a sign that they know that Tony Bradley's not ready yet? So, I don't know. I think Bradley still has a ways to go before he's actually contributing at all for the Jazz. I think even if there's injuries, we're going to see Udo have the minutes ahead of um, Tony Bradley. Yeah, I mean, he's showing nice things, he's super young, um, he's coming a long way, I think he has the potential to be an awesome rebounder, and potentially even an awesome post-scorer if he just gets a little bit of those, you know, those finishes and, and those uh, those touches close to the basket a little more under control.
0: Yeah, I, he definitely flashed the potential that shows why the Jazz were willing to trade to get him. Um, I specifically remember during the Memphis Grizzlies game, he was up against Jaron Jackson Jr., who... Coming out of the draft, people viewed him as the best shot blocker in college. Tony Bradley backed him down and then had a really nice spin move that led to an up and under reverse layup. And just moves like that make you see like, okay, that's what the Jazz are seeing, and that's what they think it can become. It's just not consistent right now. Hopefully he can get there though. He's still really, really young. And I think I think you're right. My guess is a big reason why we're seeing Udo back this year is the Jazz know that Bradley isn't quite ready yet. And with Gobert's injury history, I don't know if they're willing to risk having Tony Bradley being the primary backup center. Yeah, I'm with you 100% there. Uh, so let's move to the final player, Grayson Allen, obviously the Jazz rookie. Um, I'll let you start off with this one. What are your, I know you, after the summer league, you said you're still kind of torn on Grayson Allen. What are, what are the things you like about him and the things you don't like?
1: Well, I mean, the biggest thing I like is that apparently Donovan Mitchell wanted him on the team, so I guess I'm going to trust Donovan Mitchell on this one. (laughs) Um, But... You know, besides that, um, you know, I've said it before. I mean, I'm a little bit hesitant on Grayson Allen just because, of obviously, his reputation and, and some of the negative connotation things that could bring. Um, but really, on paper, there's a lot to like. I mean, obviously, his three-point shooting, um, his sneaky athleticism. Um, I think you touched on this last time, John, but he, he's a sneaky good passer. Um, I just really feel like, you know, if he can, if he can just really reach his best-case scenario and if he can really develop with the Jazz, you know, they may have another gem on their hands. You know, it's someone that he's easy to dislike because of how really, maybe in some ways unfairly, he's been portrayed. Um, but he has, you know, if you take attitude or past, you know, um, instances totally out of the picture, he has a lot of skills and he has a lot of things that on paper translate extremely well. And if he's just draining threes for the jazz like crazy, no one's gonna complain about anything else that, he, that he's done in the past. Plus, you know, while maybe he's crossed the line sometimes, you have to love his competitiveness, you have to love his intensity. You have to love that he's a guy that's going to go out there and give his all 100% of the time. Um, I know you hate it when I bring up the Pacers, but, uh, for example, the (laughs) Pacers always had a very polarizing figure in Lance Stevenson. Oh,
0: geez, don't even. I can't. If you played
1: against him, you hated him, obviously, but if he was on your team, you loved him because he literally, you know, gave 120% every single time he was on the floor. And just, you know, I didn't agree with all of his antics either. That's not what I'm saying. But similarly, you know, when there's a guy that just goes out there and competes and, and you know, just with no regard to what, what else happens, he's going to go out there and give his all and hustle and do anything he can to help his team win. That's what you love to see in a guy, and hopefully Grayson Allen can be an in-control version of that where he's just going out there and scrapping and doing whatever it takes for his team to win.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be fun. I, I mean, my favorite thing about him is just his competitiveness, like, I, you got to love the guys who just give it 110% every night. And the Jazz have had those players in the past, and we've fallen in love with them. I mean, the people who jumped to my mind are Damari Carroll and Trevor Booker, guys who talent-wise, I mean, they were good, they were okay. I mean, they weren't the best on the court, but, man, we loved them because every night we knew what we were going to get. If there was a loose ball, they were going to be the first one on the floor. If there was a fight, they were going to be the first one there supporting their teammate, I just, you fall in love with a guy like that. They're, I guess, Lance Stevenson. They're the guy that everybody else hates, but if he's on your team, you love. And I I just wrote that recent piece about Grayson Allen and Donovan Mitchell, and that was one of the things he said to Dennis Dennis Lindsey. Going against him, he's someone I don't want to play against, but I would love him on my team. And I think that's what the Jazz fans are going to realize. But as a player, though, he really does have a lot of talent. He's a good, good player. He can shoot the three with confidence off the dribble or spotting up. He can get to the basket on his own because he's a good athletic player, um, really crafty finisher. Um, a lot of times he doesn't get all the way to the basket. He's pretty good about getting into the paint and either doing those floaters or he has a really good step back jump shot that he does in the paint that I saw a lot when looking at video from him. So. I think jazz fans are going to love him. I think give it give it a month, and we're going to forget all about his time in Duke and the instances that he had, and we're going to just we're going to be in love with him.
1: Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I'm hoping for the best.
0: Yeah, and I guess like you said, if it's somebody that Donovan Mitchell wanted on the team, whatever we have to do to get Donovan Mitchell happy. So yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to think that. I mean, a a rookie, a, a second year player like Donovan Mitchell, potentially already has sway within the office. Like you don't really, you don't really see that a lot.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up the summer league and what to expect from those players who are going to be. We'll we'll see. Hopefully, having a contribution next year. But if not next year, there are pieces for the future that I think we're going to be really excited about. Grayson Allen is the player I would say is probably going to get the most playing time out of all those guys. Um, I don't think we're going to see a ton from Tony Bradley and uh George barring injury, but it's exciting. The Jazz have a really, a really fun young core behind the main guys that I think are going to keep it interesting. Well, with that said, let's move on to our final point in point three. Uh, we did this a few weeks ago. We got off track with a bunch of things going down with the draft and free agency, but we've been doing these spotlights on positions for the Jazz. So we started with the point guards, then we went to shooting guards and small forwards, Uh, but we still have power forwards and centers left. So we're going to switch over and we'll talk about the Utah Jazz power forwards. Point three. So for point three, we're going to switch over to the power forwards on the Utah Jazz and This is actually kind of an interesting position to me because there aren't a lot of power forwards on the Utah Jazz. So when I looked at the roster for last year, only two players were listed as power forwards, and that was Derek Favors and Jonas Drebko. So we'll start with Derek Favors. I think he's probably the the most interesting Jazz man, and obviously Jonas Drebko was released so the Jazz had an interesting decision this offseason to decide if they wanted to keep Derek Favors or to allow him to walk in free agency and potentially go for maybe one of the younger restricted free agents that was out there. They chose to keep him, which we talked about last time we did the podcast. I think we both are on the same page and thinking that it was the right decision, even for the number. I mean, they gave him more money than maybe he could have gotten elsewhere, but they were able to get him on a one-plus-one contract where if they want to next offseason, they can simply exercise that team option and allow him to get into free agency. So, Jared, last year Derek Favors entered into kind of a new role where he was primarily playing the backup center to Rudy Gobert. He took on lesser responsibility than he has in the past. What were your impressions of him in that role?
1: Well, I mean, first thing that comes to my mind is that you know, he is just, I think he's just awesome. I mean, we talked earlier about how Carmelo Anthony, you know, is a player that's just unaware of his role or unaware of the kind of player he is now. And you look at someone like Derek Favors, and he's the exact opposite. I mean, he knows very well, you know, that he's a great player, that he could be used in different ways. But his mantra all along the way has been he's going to do what's best for the team. And, you know, he, he's done that extremely well. Um, you know, there were times when he would give up, closing games where he would give up minutes um based on what the jazz needed at the time so that's the first thing i'll say is just the fact that he has been willing to put his ego aside and really do his best with the team i just really admire that out of him and then you know i'll also say that he was huge during the jazz's run to end the season where the jazz you know went 29-6 and to close out the year um because you know him and gobert figured out how to coexist Uh, But then also when he was on the court being the backup center, he gave the Jazz an effective rim protector at all times, and he was awesome. And we saw that even more so in the Oklahoma City Thunder Series where I felt like Derek Favors, you know, played well in all the games. But really there were two games in particular where it was like, wow, we do not win those games without Derek Favors. He really stepped up. And just admire, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he can get his corner three percentage up to even being in a low 30s. That'll be such a huge win for the Jazz. Um, but I really just hope he can continue to be a monster in the post on the rebounds and get that little 13 to 15 foot jumper going. I think Favors is just going to continue to be an awesome asset for this
0: team. Yeah, I think he's terrific. And right now he's the longest tenured Jazz man. Um, he's, been, he's been great, really. And I think you hit the nail on the head. But just shout out to Derek Favors, for being willing to accept the role that Quinn Snyder put him in because, I mean, he said it himself, like, sometimes it was rough because he was asked to play less minutes than he's ever had to play, and sometimes he's not finishing games, and that's hard for a player like Derek Favors who, I mean, just three, four years ago he was, I mean, with Gordon Hayward, people were talking about Derek Favors, about, like, which one's going to be better, which one's the star. I mean, he was averaging 16 points and eight rebounds a game for two consecutive seasons. Um, So that was definitely really hard for him, but he he put on a brave face and he did what was best for the team, which is just amazing. And he did it well, too. So I looked at it, and while he's listed as a power forward, Derek Favors actually played 61% of his minutes as a center last year. So technically, I mean, he would be considered a center. He took on that backup center role for Rudy Gobert, where they can start the game together, play maybe four or five minutes, and then they offset time. And I think that's, I mean, what team can do that? He gives us such an advantage at the center position because we really have 48 minutes of top-tier talent at the center position and rim protection. Uh, there's things he has to get better at, though. I think, I think that's the next topic is just what can he do next season to really show that he was worth that contract that he was given and whether he stays with the Jazz or not, what can he do to set himself up to get paid the most in the future? Um, I think you brought it up already, just his three-point shooting is probably going to be one of the biggest things. I mean, we know what he is as a finisher and what his strengths are. He's he's one of the few big men in today's game that is still pretty effective down in the post. Um, pick and roll-wise, he shot uh, 72% within five feet from the basket, which is one of the top numbers in the entire nba that was better than rudy gobert um really good finisher at the basket but the biggest question is can he shoot that three so last year he shot the most threes that he has in his entire career um and still didn't take one per game he was at 0.8 attempts per game so i mean my biggest question is do we think that he can get to two three-point attempts per game just just one and a half and then can he up his shooting percentage to where last year he shot 22% from three, can he get that to 30%? I think those are going to be the two biggest questions on Derek Favors, and if he can do that, I think he's going to really benefit the Jazz as far as our spacing spacing is concerned, and he's going to set himself up for another large, big contract in the future.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. And, I mean, you know, even if he, like, didn't get better, which I don't foresee happening and don't want to happen. I feel like what he brings right now is just so underrated, and he has so many skills as the Jazz. You know, really know how to utilize so well. And you talked a lot, John, this offseason about like you know, if not Eric Favors, then who? Like who could the Jazz realistically replace his production with There was nobody. You know, there was no one even close to Favors they could have replaced him with that made sense from either a fit or uh, financial or any, you know, standpoint, there wasn't anybody. And so this was an absolute no-brainer. And it's just I'm so glad that he's excited to be back, and I'm so glad the Jazz found a way to get him back and that, you know, maybe he's being overpaid. I kind of put that in quotes for this year. Um, But really with it being such a flexible deal, you know, it's it's the Jazz can afford him this year, and they have flexibility on him in the future. So just a huge win on all sides with with hysteric favors. agreement.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be great, and I, I'm so excited for next year because I think it's going to be even better, especially if Rudy Gobert can stay healthy. Um, and also just for Derek Favors, just kind of having that peace of mind, like it's not a contract year anymore. you got paid, you've got your money, and he just focused on basketball and getting better. Um, and really, like, there's things that he does better than Rudy Gobert that we don't really talk about. I mean, one, he is a better shooter, whether it's just shooting that 15-foot jump shot like you said, um, and then I pointed out he's, he's better at finishing around the rim. Gobert is more of a lob threat for sure, but Derek Favors, I mean, that's 72% finishing within five feet is just elite. That's, that's an elite level at finishing around the rim. Um, the other thing that I, I think is underrated in his game, and we saw it more um, against OKC and against the, the, the Rockets, um, this is his ability to guard the perimeter. He's a better perimeter defender than Rudy Gobert. So when he gets switched onto James Harden or Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook or whoever it might be, um, he stands a much better chance of being able to limit their effectiveness. And I think that's a part of his game that's really underrated and is a huge benefit to the Jazz. So we're, we won't talk too long about Jonas Drebko. Just like I said, he's no longer on the team. Um, the Jazz decided on... I guess it would have been July 9th to not exercise his team option and allow him to go into free agency. And then it seemed like almost immediately after they allowed him to walk, I was seeing that he signed with Golden State Warriors. So I I imagine he was pretty much, I'm guessing the Jazz were very vocal and communicative with him telling him, hey, there's a good chance that we're not going to re-up your contract. Um, So he was already having his agent out there in discussions. So Good for him. I mean, he was he was really a nice player to have on the team for one year. Um, I liked him. I I know we've talked about this before. My favorite thing about Jonas Drebko was he's obviously limited in certain areas as far as his athleticism is concerned, but he had more heart than almost anybody on the court when he did play. I mean, he just – he hustled harder than anybody, and you could see it in his play. And, again, Jazz fans, we recognize that and we appreciate that. And I wish him the best of luck. I hope he does really well with the Warriors. I, I hope he gets another ring.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really like Drebko, and I was happy to have him. And um, but at the end of the day, though, he wasn't necessarily crucial for what the Jazz were doing. I felt like a lot of his shortcomings, especially defensively, were – um, exposed during the playoffs, um, especially in that
0: series against the Thunder. Yeah. I mean, and he, uh, and I, I hope that he can do well. I
1: hope he gets an ovation when he comes back to Salt Lake City, if he, if he finds any playing time with the Warriors. Uh, but I'm going to disagree with you. I hope he doesn't get a ring because I, <laughs> I can't cheer for the Warriors to
0: ever get a ring no matter who's yeah, on the team. Yeah, I know. <laughs> just to, like, accept the inevitable. It's going to happen. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> but I think that's a big thing to point out, though, is just looking at his his minutes during the playoffs, and I think that's... A big part of the decision that the Jazz had to make was this is a guy who, while we really like when it came down to the most important part of the year, they only played him eight minutes a game and he averaged two points in those eight minutes. I mean, it just, they were really only playing him in games where it was a blowout and it didn't matter anymore. Um, So I don't know if that's necessarily someone that you really have to keep on your team and If they were able to release him and then sign George Snang for less money, I mean financially, it just makes sense to take the younger player who you're going to pay less money. But it's going to, I mean, he's probably George Snang is probably going to give you 80 to 90 percent of what Drebko was giving, and that's fine in 10 minutes a game. There are certain areas that I think we're going to miss. I mean, big thing. He shot, I believe it was 43 percent from three. I mean, really, really affect a three-point shooter, and that's something the Jazz are going to miss because in my mind, that was the biggest need this offseason was we needed more shooting, and we, I don't know if we're coming back with more shooting now that Jurebko's gone. So that's something that I think the Jazz are definitely going to miss, but how, how do you think they're going to fill him not being on the roster anymore? Because, I mean, we already said that George's name probably isn't going to get much playing time, so... With Jerebko not getting his 15 minutes a game that he got this last season, who do you think is going to take over those minutes?
1: Well, I think the hope is that Tabo and Crowder um, can kind of fill that role. Obviously, Jerebko was a better three-point shooter than both of them, which does raise some concerns. Um, But again, you know, yeah, 15 minutes a game, but also uh, Jerebko had a lot of DNPs as well. And so I don't think that it's absolutely vital. His role wasn't ever, you know, completely vital. Um, But then in some regards, you know, if it's, you look at it the same way, that while Nying may not be playing every single game, if there are injuries, which is kind of what, you know, forced drip could have to play more. Um, then Yang, I think, is going to fill that role. I, I really think that he's capable of being a stretch four, um, adding some of that shooting and playmaking. And I think the Jazz will be—you know—hate to say this <laughs> about Dragic, but I think the Jazz will be just fine without him. Not too worried about losing his production.
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. And I think it's really just interesting talking about the power forwards for the Utah Jazz and realizing that our primary power forwards have historically played the three. Um, so I mean, we talk a lot about how. The Jazz are one of the few teams who haven't gone the way of the rest of the NBA, where we have a traditional center and power forward, but really we're only playing that traditional lineup for maybe 10 minutes a game, if that. I mean, Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors really don't spend a ton of time on the court together, and then we transition into a more modern stretch four with uh, Jay Crowder and Tavo Cephalosha. So... Um, I think it's interesting to see how the Jazz are going to do it next year. I I wonder who's going to get more playing time of the four, Tabo or Jay Crowder. Um, I think lineups with Jay Crowder were really, really effective last year with him and Rudy Gobert or Derek Favors, it didn't matter who. I just, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with those two because I feel like between Crowder and Seth I feel like one of them is going to be a bit more of like an odd man out. Because I don't think you can play them both together with their three-point shooting, so I, I'm just I'm wondering how Quinn Snyder is going to make it work just without having a, a stretch four or a, th- a backup three who can really shoot the three-pointer at a, a really high percentage. So it's going to be some interesting things for next year to look at, and it's I mean it's going to be fun to see what he does.
1: Yeah, for sure. That's one of the biggest question marks because obviously those two never played together this past year um, because Tephalosha got injured before the Jazz traded for him. So that's one of the big question marks heading into the season for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, I think that'll about wrap it up. Any last-second thoughts you want to share, Jared?
1: No, just looking forward. Hopefully we get a, a schedule here soon, and if so, we'll probably be talking about that here on the show soon.
0: Yeah, I think that's the the next big piece of information. I mean, obviously, they did release the preseason schedule. Um, There's there's a piece about that, I believe. Um, Editor Ryan Ashton wrote that piece. They're going to face, I believe, same teams last year, right? A couple teams from Australia. I can't remember what their names are, but...
1: Yeah, I believe, I believe Sydney and maybe Perth or something like that.
0: But then, that's yeah, the big one is we get to
1: see Choir Leonard with the Raptors, so that'll be
0: fun. Yeah, that's going to be really cool. Hopefully he plays. I, I was looking at that, and that'll be really fun. Yeah. Cool. Well, exciting times. Hopefully they'll release that schedule within a week or two, and we'll be able to dissect that and have more jazz basketball to talk about during these dead August months. Yeah, it's the worst. I can't do it, Jared. I need basketball cool. in my life.
1: I know. I was actually watching Hardwood Classics last night. I was so, uh, <laughs> so missing basketball, and the, the 76ers beat the Lakers in game one. It was pretty exciting.
0: <laughs> how how hardwood are we talking? How long ago was that? Uh, it was 2001. Game oh, one, okay. That's, that's like the Al- sure. Allen Iverson when he went off. Yeah. Okay.
1: yeah, I mean, the Lakers won the next four after that, but game one was sure
0: memorable. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Well, that'll do it for us. Thanks so much for listening and, and following us at thejnos.com. Uh Make sure you continue to, to follow the website. We are consistent about getting things up there. I know it's the dead time of the year. There's not a lot to talk about, but we find stuff to talk about because we love the jazz. So make sure you're, you're visiting the site often and follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at uh, John underscore Kiefer. Follow Jared at at Jared Woodcox, and we'll talk to you soon we